you are listening to the Grace Capital Church Podcast, broadcasting from our Pittsfield campus. It's going to be truly amazing. So buckle up. It's going to be a good ride. So God's promise. Well, one of the things that God has promised over the last few years to me is this campus. It's us. Yeah, years ago, there was a meeting at, uh, in the Pembroke campus as we met around the, the conference table there with several men and women who were passionate about a, uh, an outreach that they did here in Pittsfield. And we talked to them, and I remember distinctly as we left that meeting, Pastor Peter looked at me and he says, I think we may have just birthed our new campus. I think we might know where our, new, our next campus is going to be. And sure enough, through time and through confirmations and through affirmations, God promised this campus to us, that it would be here for us, that we would be able. Yeah, we would be able. We knew he was calling us here, and we knew that the promise wasn't immediate. It took time. Sometimes it seemed like it took forever, but it took time, and, and it, we're here. It took patience. Still, it takes patience as we're chomping at the bit to move forward and be in our space. But God's promises, remember what we said a few weeks back? God's promises are always, always. Once God promises something, it's done. God's promises are always, always, because his, his promises are done. Once they're promised, they're done. God's, God's concept of time is so much different from ours, and we don't understand it. But God's promises are done. They're yes and they're amen. So here we are, us, the answer to one of God's promises. And that's pretty cool. But did you know that God had been making promises and keeping them since the beginning of time? Way back in the Garden of Eden. We're talking about God's promises and God, His promises for mankind, for you and for me, through mankind throughout the ages. His promises that will bring hope to all of us. Promises born out of God's great love for His creation, for us, as, as, as He created us in His image and His likeness. Because the creation was, was hopeless. The creation was lost without God's promise. Without God's promise, don't you know that we would all be lost? Because of what happened in the garden. Perhaps we're here today and we need a word of promise from God. Maybe you're here today and and like Kyle was saying earlier, you need a word of promise from God. You need to hear from Him. You need to know of His love and His care and His concern for you. Well, it's no accident that you're here, if that's the case. But why do we need to hear that from God? Why do we need God's promises? We need God's promises because we have a problem. We have a problem. Since Adam and Eve fall in the garden, we've had a problem. This needed a promise. We have a problem before the promise. There was a problem before the promise. Adam in the garden. If you know the story about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the original sin where Eve took the fruit from the tree and, and ate of it because Satan tempted her. And that imparted a sin nature into us. Since then, the sin nature has carried on forward throughout humanity because of that first original sin, that first rebellion toward God. They had chosen to rebel against God, to, do, uh, to go against his wishes, to go against the one thing that he told them not to do, the, the rebellion that they had, because they wanted to be more like God. They created a void between God and man. As you read the story, you hear how God came looking for Adam, and Adam was hit hiding in the garden because that void had been created. Adam knew within his spirit that he had broken that relationship with God. The relationship between God and man, God and you and me, had been broken. 
really it, it all boiled down to pride. Adam and Eve ate the fruit of that tree because they wanted to be like God. Their pride got in the way. When Satan told them, you can be like God. Did God really tell you that? He only told you that because he wants to mess with you. Because he doesn't want you to be like him. So they pridefully ate the fruit of that tree. And then after that, what do we see? We see the world heading toward lawlessness and confusion. Quickly, very quickly, just a few generations after Adam, we find Noah. People were doing their own thing. Sin was rampant. It was a, a crazy world that they lived in. You think the world that we live in is crazy. I think the times of Noah were even worse. And then God did a reset for mankind. God's heart was still for mankind. He still wanted mankind to be uh, uh, close to him, to be in relationship with him. But he had to do something to kind of do a reset. So he created the, the flood. And Noah and his family, who were righteous, who God found righteous, were able to survive the flood and the ark. You know the story. But even after that, even, the, even after the waters receded, sin still existed even starting soon after with Noah and his children and his family. Soon after the flood, Noah's family was back doing the things that God had instructed them not to do. And then what came next? Moses and the law of Moses. God sent him out into the, de- the, uh, the wilderness and, and gave him these 613 laws that the people were supposed to follow. And then he, he let the Israelites walk in the wilderness for 40 years and then later on, they wanted a king going against God's wishes again. They, they pridefully wanted a king. Everyone doing what was right in their own eyes. Again, there was that rebellion, that separation from God throughout time. And even with that law, even with those 613 laws, there was a futility. Because all, the only thing that those laws really showed us is that we aren't good enough to measure up to God. So there was futility in the law. We can't do it. We can't measure up to what the law told us. So as part of that law, God created a sacrificial system where an unblemished lamb had to be slain to, the big word is propitiation for sin, to be, to be forgiven for sin. But this sacrifice, it couldn't be done just once. It had to be done over and over because, what? Men and women kept living this life of sin to cover their sin. They had to sacrifice the lamb to cover their sin. Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So this sacrificial system had to be in place in order for mankind to be forgiven because the blood had to be shed. And there was no hope without that. Regardless of how regular the sin offering was, there needed to be more because sin continued beyond the sacrifice. And really to speak on behalf of mankind, the problem, the problem before the promise, stole our hope. It stole mankind's hope. We were hopeless in a sinful state with a sacrificial system. We were hopeless. But then came the promise. And remember that without a problem, there's no need for a promise, right? If there's no problem, we don't need a promise. Just like if there's no need for good news if we don't know the bad news. If we don't know that we're hopeless, we don't need to know the good news, right? So we've got to know the bad news before we know the good news. But the problem was big. 
So the need for a promise was also big. We had a problem that only God could solve. Mankind couldn't solve it. We couldn't solve it by following this set of 613 laws. We couldn't, follow, we couldn't solve the problem by the sacrificial lambs. We couldn't do it. So let's read part of the promise in the book of Ezekiel. Book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. Ezekiel 34, starting with, uh, let's start with, te- with verse 11 instead of verse 15. And read through verses six, verse 16. So Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16, it says, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. He'll search for his sheep to seek them out. That's his people. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep. And deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture. And their fold shall be on the high mountain of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock. And I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up what was broken with bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. God will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. That's us. That's us. That's the promise. Promise is God's plan to reconcile us, to seek the lost, to seek those who have gone astray, to bring them back. He seeks us and He brings us back. He binds up those who are injured and hurting and brings healing and brings them back into reconciliation with Him. He strengthens the weak. He's our shepherd, all of us. He's all of our shepherd. He leads us from want, He leads us beside still water, He restores our soul. He is with us. He comforts us. God is our shepherd. Psalm 23, you, you may be familiar with that. The Lord is my shepherd. God is our shepherd. He wants to shepherd us back into the fold. If you look in the book of John in the New Testament, Jesus continues this. In the uh, book of John 10, verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus talking. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus, he's the good shepherd. He brings life to the sheep. He came to shepherd us back into the fold, to bring us back to God, back into relationship to God, back in reconciliation with God, to redeem us. So what does this look like? What does God's promise look like? The promise looks like a Savior. The cool thing about the promise is that not only did God promise us a Savior, a shepherd, as Jesus called himself. But he described this promise to us many times in detail, beforehand. Before Jesus came, God described him to us in detail, many times. We learned about the promise before the promise was here with us. Isaiah seven fourteen, the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. 
says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. Before the birth of Christ, again in the book of Isaiah, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the book of Micah, again hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Again, talking about Jesus. Talking about the birth of Jesus that was yet to come for hundreds of years. You can read the entire chapter of Isaiah 53 that talks about Jesus coming to live with us. God with us, Emmanuel. Even before that, the promise was mentioned way back in the book of Genesis. After this original sin, the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, verses 15 to 17. And this is God speaking to the serpent, to the enemy. And he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, her seed being Jesus, generations later. He, Jesus, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. All this refers to Jesus, the coming promise, the promise of the coming Savior throughout the Old Testament, God's promise. You know, it's really, that's, that's really one of the good things about reading Scripture and reading the Bible in entirety as a story. Because, you know, the Bible is really one story. And as we look at it that way, as we read it that way, we can see these promises of God and how they build up to the birth of Jesus and then the birth of the church and then how God's people move. The promise is our hope. We need to cling to the hope of the promise. So without the promise, there is no hope. There is no hope without the promise. Now next week, I don't want to jump ahead, but but we're going to be talking about God's presence. We're going to be talking about the birth of this promise of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. The presence is the promise personified. The presence is the promise personified. It's Jesus and all of these promises that God has made us, some, some that I've already told you about tonight, many, many more throughout the Old Testament, all of these promises will be personified in the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. In 2 Corinthians we read, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They're yes in Jesus because He is the promise. Through Scripture, we see, that God's, we see God's promises and, and we can attest to His faithfulness. One of the greatest things about God's promises is, like I said, they are always, always. But we can look through Scripture and we can see that every promise that God has made has been fulfilled. God has never bailed out on a promise. We see His faithfulness through the ages. That God's promises... And we can attest to his faithfulness throughout the ages. Through scripture, we can find hope then. We can find hope in the promise. The promise of Jesus. And in the promises of God. But so many of us, we put our hope other places. We put our hope in things that will disappoint, will discourage, will let us down. So, well, some of the places that that your hope might lie, 
Maybe in your job. Does your hope lie in your job or your bank account? In your spouse? Politics? That would be a joke. Religion? Does your hope lie in religion? Or does your hope lie in the promise? The promises of God. Jesus. And the promises of God that are yes and amen. Our hope can lie in God's promise. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. God wants to bring back the lost. Bring back what was driven away. Bring back what's been stolen. Bring back what the enemy destroyed back in the garden. God's plan is to bring that back. And Jesus is the promise. Jesus is the promise. And so that's what God started doing immediately after Adam committed that original sin, after Adam and Eve sinned. God started that process. God started laying out those promises. He started laying out that that plan. And He's still doing it today. He reconciles the lost. He restores what has been destroyed. What was destroyed in the garden, God is restoring that. His promised Savior has come to be that reconciliation for us. The promise is Jesus, is reconciliation for us. So now the challenge for all of us then is to receive the promise. To receive His promises. To have confidence in His promises. To know God's promises are yes and amen. To know God's promises are always, always. And to give ourselves over. To trust. To trust in His promises. And to trust in the promise. The promise of Jesus. The promise of the Savior. Life can be disappointing. We can so easily be be disappointed in others. And even though we make promises to one another, we still disappoint. We still let people down. People let us down. Even in promises. How many times have you been disappointed by someone else? Even when they've made you a promise. We know that God's promises don't disappoint. Ever. Because God's promise is our Savior. God's promise brings reconciliation. And the cool thing is that we have thousands of years of history of seeing God keeping His promises. The promise of the Savior, perfectly kept, perfectly on time, perfectly for us. We can trust God. That's where our hope lies. And you know, if we don't have that hope, if we don't have that trust in God and who He is and and in His promise and in His Savior, then truly, we're hopeless. There's no hope beyond that. If we can't trust, if we don't choose to trust God and His promise. So this promise is for all of us. The promise is God's perfect plan of redemption. For us. God's promise is hope. God's promise is reconciliation. 
be brought back into a good and right relationship with God. You see, God's promise, Jesus, the promise brought heaven to earth. The promise brought heaven to earth. So even as we read scripture and as we read to the end of the Old Testament before Jesus was born, when Jesus was still a promise, the the Old Testament ends and there was a long period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's only one page, you say. But there was a long period of hundreds of years, 400 years, after the prophets of the Old Testament had written all of their oracles, all of their prophecies, after King David had reigned, after the entirety of the Old Testament had been completed, God was silent for 400 years. But one of these last prophets to hear from God and to record his words for us was Zechariah. God gave Zechariah a vision, a promise of what was to come. Unfortunately, Zechariah wrote them down and passed them along to us. Zechariah 2. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. It's a short one. Zechariah 2, verses 10 and 11. It says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming. This is a foretelling of Jesus. For behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. God's promise, a Savior, Jesus, that this, these verses talked about. In the midst of us, with us. God with us. God's promise. God's promise brought heaven to earth through God's presence, His Son. So tonight I, th- I think there are There's a call for hope. There's a call for us to renew our hope. To receive the promises of God. As we move forward, uh, this is a series that you're not going to want to miss because they're going to kind of connect with each other. And as we move forward, we're going to talk about the presence, about Jesus being born and, and how that changed everything. Everything was changed when Jesus was born. So as we wrap up tonight, I'd like to pray for you and we'll ask our elders to be down front after I finish, elders and and, uh, life group leaders. And if you don't know that hope, if you don't know the promise, well, tonight could be the night where you start knowing the hope and knowing the promise. Our prayer leaders will talk to you and pray with you and and help you with some next steps to understand the promise and the presence of Jesus our Savior. So as the elders and leaders come, let's pray.
Father, we, we thank you for your promise. Because we know, Father, that your promises are yes and amen. And Father, we trust those promises because we've seen throughout time, God, how you, you're always, you're always standing up for your promises. And Lord, we thank you for the promised one, for Jesus who came. Lord, who came to reconcile, to bring us back to you, to, to seek what was lost, to seek what had been stolen, to seek what had been destroyed, to bring it back to you, Lord. And that's us. So, Father, tonight as, as we wrap up, as we finish, Lord, give us a, a vision of your promise. Give us a vision of the hope that we can have, Lord. As we anticipate what is to come, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church podcast. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and the mission that we have in New England, or if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to support this ministry financially, please visit us online at gccnh.com.